I want to do more than just deal with symptoms. I want us to take a look at the inside of ourselves and what will flow outward and make some changes that may or may not be apparent to the rest of the world. I think they should be, but sometimes the changes in the inner person are not immediately visible to the people around us. We're going to take a look at a passage from 2 Corinthians. begins in chapter 5, verse 11, goes through chapter 6, verse 2. And that's not just an awful lot of verses, but they are profound. You need to know what comes just before Paul writes the things that we're going to read this morning. In uh, previous verses, in chapters 3 and 4, he talks about the ministry that he has because he is a Christian and because he is an apostle. And part of what he talks about is that there are things that to the outer world don't look quite right about Christians. We have defects. We are not perfect. How many of you realize that you are not perfect? Okay. I, for the rest of you, I want you to know, you're not perfect, okay? That's evidenced by the fact that you did not raise your hand just now, all right? You're not, you're not, and everybody else around knows it. One of the, the things that we don't like is for other people to realize that we have faults, and I know some of you don't believe you have faults. But you do, and the fact that you don't know that you have faults is one of your faults. Seriously. If you think that you are perfect, that in and of itself is a fault. It is something that is not right about you. And the rest of the world knows that you are not perfect. Paul talks about people as being like earthen vessels. In other words, like ceramics. And the ceramics are cracked, they're chipped, they're broken. Here's something interesting that you may or may not know about a couple of Asian cultures. Did you know that when they have a ceramic vessel that gets broken or chipped or cracked, they don't just throw it away. Instead, what they do is patch it together with gold. So in some ceramics you will see jagged patterns of gold. And that means that that vessel at one time was chipped or cracked or broken and then it's been put back together. And to those cultures that repaired vessel is more valuable not just because it's gold that was used to mend it because it means that something that was broken has been put back together. And Paul talks about us as vessels of clay that have been broken and put back together. And we are then suitable for God's purposes. 
Your life may have some cracks, it may have some broken places in it, and you may think that that means that you are not valuable. You may think that it means that you are not worthy to do anything good for God, but God, through Jesus Christ, has put you back together and in a way that is more valuable to Him, and He has made you fit for His purposes. Absolutely. His purposes are higher than yours. In Isaiah chapter 55, God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are higher than yours. So at the point that you think that you are worthless, at the point that you think that you are not fit for anything good, God comes along and through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, He puts you back together in a way that is better than you were before He took you and put you back together. And now you're fit to do something that is fit for His purposes. Then Paul talks about the fact that we live in these earthen vessels, and now he changes his analogy. Instead of talking about us being ceramics, he talks about these bodies as being tents. Now, a tent is not the sturdiest of dwellings, right? Did any of you ever go camping in a tent? All right. Then, then you know that if it rains outside, the one thing you do not do is what? Why, Jim? It'll start a leak and you will never get that to quit. You'll just never get it to quit. For the rest of the life of that tent, you're going to have a leak in that spot. So if you don't want the inside of the tent to get flooded, you don't touch the tent. Now, look, if, if I walk over here and I touch this wall... We don't expect for there to develop a leak in that spot. Yeah, we hope not. We don't expect it because these walls are sturdier, sturdier than the walls of a tent, correct? And Paul says that the earthly tent in which we are currently living is in the process of decay. It's in the process of deterioration. But... At the same time that this earthly tent is being destroyed, God is at work building for us a new habitation, a new dwelling that is permanent. It's not made by human hands. It's made by the hands of God. And it is immortal. It is eternal. It is something to which we look forward to. So that at the same time this body is decaying, being corrupted, God is making for us an eternal home. And then Paul says that what this tells us is that there is coming a day when we all are going to be judged for the things that we've done in the body, whether those things are good or bad. Now that judgment is good and bad. It's good from the standpoint that there is an evaluation, there is an opportunity to look back on the course of our lives and say, okay, did we do it properly or did we not? Now, if we've not, that's bad. That's bad because 
the appropriate result of a life lived for the wrong purposes is condemnation. And Paul says that to be condemned is a fearful thing. The last two or three years before my dad died, when people would talk to him about how long he's lived and those kinds of things, dad would talk with them about the course of their lives. And he would talk with them about the fact that all of us, according to Hebrews, are going to die and then we're going to be judged. And he urged people to become Christians, to give themselves wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ because that's the only way to be spared the condemnation that each of us deserves based upon the things that we've done in this life. Because even one sin outweighs all of the good that we have ever done. (coughs) In other words, not one of us deserves heaven. We all deserve hell. Now this is the background of what we're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11 through chapter 6 verse 2. And I want you to pay very careful attention because what he's going to talk to us about today is more than just making New Year's resolutions, okay? It's going to be more than just dealing with symptoms. It's going to be be dealing with the person inside. So let's read. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Wow. You know, I realized the other day, I was, I was watching a couple of my previous sermons. And after I'm done reading the scripture, I often say, wow. <laughs> There's a really simple reason for that. It is. It's awesome. I am continually amazed by the things that I read in scriptures. Especially passages that I've studied over and over and over because there's a richness and a depth of the scriptures that I have never been able to exhaust. I never get to the end of it. I always learn something new. Even after I've studied hours and weeks for messages, as I'm reading the scriptures at the beginning of my sermon, I always find something new. Wow. Really? Wow. Isn't God grand? All right. I know the foods are cooking. I know that you can already begin to smell it. So I promise not to keep you long. Really quickly, here are three things that you and I need to know. First, Jesus Christ came here. He lived, he died, and he was raised to life for a purpose. That purpose is so that you and I might live in and with him. In other words, Jesus did not come here and live the life he lived and die the death he died and be raised back to a new life so that you and I can live the way we always have. Paul says, so that we might live the way that pleases God. There's a song that we used to sing when I was a kid. It was, it was in a lot of hymnals. Some churches still sing this song. <coughs> Take my life and let it be. At least that's the way that we'd like it to come off. In other words, God, we want you to give us life, but then we want you to leave us alone. We don't want you to require anything of us. The full line says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. In other words, let me from this point on live according to your purpose. When God saved us, he did not do it so that we might stay the way we were. After all, the way we were is what got us into problems in the first place. Have you ever tried to encourage somebody else to make much needed changes in their life? 
Have you ever tried to help someone else change who did not want to change? Instead, what they wanted was everybody around them to change so that this person who really needs to change would find that everybody else just accepted them. God did not send His Son into the world so that you and I could stay the way we are. He did not send His Son into the world so that we could live life according to our own purposes. One of the things that my wife cooks that I absolutely love, and I try not to nag her, but I dearly love her yeast dinner rolls that she cooks. Oh my. I've noticed something. She's not always happy with the way the dough turns out. And therefore, she's not always happy with the way the rolls turn out. Now here's the thing. What she thinks is a good yeast dinner roll and what our daughter and I think is a good yeast dinner roll are two entirely different things. Because you see, being an excellent baker, she wants those dinner rolls to be light and fluffy. My daughter and I like them doughy. As a matter of fact, for Christmas she made our son-in-law a batch of the roll dough and didn't cook it. She just gave it to him because he and our daughter and I love to eat the dough just the way it is. And so on Christmas, when we got out there and she gave it to him, one of the best things that my son-in-law has ever done, besides taking our daughter off our hands, is... That, that he opened up the dough and shared it with me. Now, my wife does not think that that is the best use of that dough. Here's the thing. She's the baker. And the roll dough is, support, is supposed to be living up to her expectations. Certainly not to its own. Roll dough, if left alone, is going to do two things. First, it's going to keep raising and it's going to taste more and more yeasty. And then as a result of the natural processes, it's going to decompose. It's going to get moldy and yucky. That's not the purpose for which it was created. The purpose for which the roll dough was created was to become a roll. Now, I understand roll dough doesn't have a mind. It doesn't get to sit there in the pan and say, you know what, 
I don't want to be made into a roll. I'd rather be a blackberry pie. Which is what my wife made for me for Christmas at my request. The roll dough doesn't get to decide that. The blackberry pie is supposed to be a blackberry pie. The roll dough is supposed to become a roll. How many of you are still with me on this? Okay. If the roll dough decides it doesn't want to be a roll, is it living up to the purpose for which it was created? You and I have minds. God gave us our minds. But sometimes we don't think in the ways that we should think. And we decide we have our own purpose for which we wish to live. We wish to be rich. Maybe God wants you to be rich. Maybe He doesn't. We wish to be healthy. Maybe God wants you to be perfectly healthy physically. Maybe He does not. We wish that every relationship in our life went the way we want it to go. God has other ideas for our relationships. You see... God has a purpose for which he created us. And Jesus did not come here to live, to die, to be buried, to be raised back to life so that we could live according to our purposes, but so that we could live according to the purpose for which we were initially created by God. Now it's real important for us to understand this. Because if we live lives for our purposes, well, you won't like where that leads. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, that there are two roads. He said one of them is broad and it's easy. It's easy to find. And everybody wants to be on that road. But at its end, it leads to destruction. The other road, he said, is narrow. It's confining. It's hard to find, and it's hard to stay on it. But he said, in the end, it leads to life. He's talking about the same thing there that Paul's talking about here. Are you going to live God, live your life for God's purpose or for your purpose? Jesus came here to save you, not to leave you the way you are, but to lead you back to God. Second thing I want you to know is this. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has, has died and it's gone. And the new has come. That's what he says. We talk about resolutions. Resolutions see, see in themselves an opportunity to remake ourselves. But here's the thing. They always want to remake ourselves in the way we want to be remade. Right? How many of you ever made a resolution to be something that you didn't want to be? 
I don't know anybody that goes around making resolutions. You know what? This is what I don't want to be, so I'm going to make a resolution to be like that. No. And we talk about the old being dead and gone. The Italians have a cool custom. At New Year's, as midnight approaches, New Year's Eve, there are no pedestrians out on the streets. Not even the police go out on the streets. Because at the stroke of midnight, the windows and the doors are flung open, and everything that people don't want gets tossed out into the street. Everything. Whether it's clothes they don't like, or pottery that they don't like, or whatever it is, it all gets chucked out into the street. So it's kind of a dangerous thing to be in the streets in Italy at midnight on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Anything that reminds them of a past they do not like gets tossed out. Kind of a cool custom. I'm not going to try it, because if I do that, I'm going to be tossing stuff out all night long. Is your house like that? My wife has said, you know, in, in five or ten years we're going to retire. And she figures it's going to take that long because if we get rid of one thing a day that we don't like, it'll be 15 years before we're ready to retire. We like to toss things out. Is there anything about your life before you became a Christian that is dissatisfying to you? Is there anything about your life before you became a Christian that you wish you could just get off your record? Every once in a while, a governor or the president will pardon somebody. A pardon means we're not going to make you continue to pay the price for something bad that you did or for your failure to do something good that you were supposed to do. In theory, the record gets expunged. Don't you wish you could get all the bad stuff from your life just wiped off the record? Anyone who is in Jesus Christ is a new creation. The old's gone. It's dead and gone. Bury it. Because Jesus has. He died so that you could have a fresh start to life. Isn't that cool? How many of you want a fresh start? If you are in Jesus Christ, you have one. You have one. You don't need to wait until New Year's Day in order to get a fresh start. The moment you became a Christian, you were issued a fresh start. You are already a brand new person. Paul talks about his relationship with Jesus. He says, we used to regard Jesus in terms of outward appearance. You know what the scriptures tell us about Jesus' outward appearance? 
Not much. Not much. We are told that he was not an incredibly handsome person. There was nothing about his outward appearance that would attract people to him, we are told. In fact, it would be kind of the opposite because he was a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with griefs. In other words, there were things about him that kind of weighed him down. But I like this about Jesus. There are a lot of things I like about Jesus. There are some that I don't, okay? Here's one that I do like about Jesus. Little kids loved him. Little kids loved him. They were attracted to him. Which means he was not a mean old man. Right? I'll tell you a secret about me. When I watch people, one of the things that I look for is to see what little kids do around that person. Do little kids want to be around that person? Or do little kids avoid that person? If little kids avoid that person, I know I'm going to want to avoid that person. Because if little kids come around an adult, they think that that adult is good and kind and playful. You know what? I think God is playful. You know how I think, why I think that God is playful? Look at some of the critters that he made and the way that he made them. And I'm not just talking about looking in the mirror. Think about a duck-billed platypus. Think about a giraffe. Think about an elephant. Think about birds which do not fly. Penguins. There are all kinds of critters out there that when we think of them, we think, goodness, why did God make this one? Why did he make this one in this way? Because God is creative and he's playful. You ever watch little kids with a stack of Play-Doh? Have you ever seen some of the critters that they designed? God and kids are playful. And I think that when little kids like an adult, it means that they sense in that adult a kind of a playful spirit. If little kids don't like to be around you, I'm probably not going to want to be around you either. Are you a mean old person? Or are you playful? Are you kind? Are you generous? Are you loving? Are you gentle? Paul says, I used to regard Jesus from an external standpoint. He wasn't necessarily somebody I wanted to look at. I didn't want to be around him because he was handsome. I didn't want to be around him because he was saying things that I wanted to hear. <clears throat> but he says, I don't regard Jesus from that way anymore, nor do I regard anybody else in that way. 
I don't care about appearances. I count what is inside. I look at the inner person. If you are in Christ, the old has, dead, has, has died and it's gone. The new has come. You aren't supposed to be the same that you were before you became a Christian. If you are the same today you were before you became a Christian, you're not a Christian. Did you hear me? Because God did not save you for you to stay the same. Last thing you need to know is this. Those who are in Christ Jesus are not supposed to be making just New Year's resolutions. We are supposed to repent. It's a big word. Oh, I understand. There are only six letters in it. But it's a big, important word. It means to turn. It's a 180 degree turn. Don't make a 360 degree turn because you end up going in the same direction you were to begin with. You need a 180 degree turn. If you were headed to hell, if you were on that nice, broad, easy road that leads to destruction, you need to do a U-turn and get on the one that is hard to find, hard to handle, hard to stay on. Say, man, that doesn't sound like fun. I know. A lot of things that are worthwhile don't sound like fun. Have you noticed? I've almost stopped doing weddings. There are a couple of reasons for it. Let me tell you one. One is because I think that most people don't take seriously the vows through which I lead them. When they're going through premarital counseling, they'll say, oh yes, I'm in this for life. But that's not what they really mean. They mean, I'm in this for life so long as the other person is what I want them to be. That's not what marriage is about. A week and a half ago, Vicki and I observed our 43rd wedding anniversary. I live in awe of these people over here. And how long they've been married? You, you know that that takes work. You don't stay in a marriage by taking it easy or by insisting that the other person should be the one to make all the changes. Listen, everybody changes. Everybody changes. Some of the changes that the other person makes are not going to be changes that you like. That does not mean that it's not worthwhile to stay in the marriage. It means you must work all the more. 
And you must understand that not all the changes that are made in your life are going to be changes with which the other person is pleased. And on their part, it requires work all the more. You don't get a long marriage by getting out of it every time something displeases you. You get a long marriage by staying in it when the work is hardest. That requires more than a New Year's resolution. It requires intentional change on your part. Because when you realize that something inside of you has become displeasing to your mate, you need to repent. It's not a matter of saying to your mate, you need to just accept me because this is who I am. No, you change to become more acceptable to your mate. Don't insist that they change for you. You insist that you change for them. Oh, I can tell some of you haven't heard that before. I can tell that for some of you, this is unwelcome news. You know what? Jesus came here to live, to die, and to be raised for a purpose. Not so that you can live the way you please, but so that you can live the way God pleases. That means the lot of the old stuff in your life that God doesn't like, He gets to toss out. You are the house. Remember what Paul says? You have the earthly dwelling, which means that when you become a Christian, God gets to toss out whatever He doesn't like and put in its place what He does. Which means that from now on, you are engaged in the process of some very hard work to become who God designed you to be. And that requires more than a New Year's resolution. A resolution which will deal with externals when what God wants is repentance. He wants you to change. I have some good news for you. While the changes are difficult and time-consuming, when you cooperate with God and make those changes, you'll find that your life is more joyful. You'll find that you become more playful. You'll find that you become someone around whom little kids like to be. And you know what? So will I. You know what? So will your mate. You know what? So will God. And it's His purpose for which you and I are supposed to live. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are not the same person. The old's dead and gone. The new has come. Let's live like it. I read a prayer this week that struck me 
as appropriate for today. It was in a poetic form, and, and I, I, I looked, I, I, I entered the text to try to find out who the author is, couldn't find it, but here it is. Here's this prayer. Dear Master, for this coming year, just one request I bring. I do not pray for happiness or any earthly thing. I do not ask to understand the way Thou leadest me, but this I ask, teach me to do the thing that pleaseth Thee. I want to know thy guiding voice, to walk with thee each day. Dear Master, make me swift to hear and ready to obey. And thus the year I now begin, a happy year will be, if I am seeking just to do the thing that pleaseth 